This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the worst girl gang ever. We are proudly sponsored by Peanut, the app that helps you meet like-minded women who are trying to conceive. It provides a safe space for women to build friendships, ask questions and find support. Peanut introduces you to women nearby who are at a similar stage in their journey. They provide access to a community who are there to listen, share information and offer valuable advice. Whether it's learning more about issues that affect fertility, or support following pregnancy loss and miscarriage, Peanut is a place to connect with women who understand. Here at The Worst Girl Gang Ever, we strive to open up the dialogue surrounding miscarriage and pregnancy loss. Peanut shares this ethos and we recommend downloading their app for more advice, information and support. You can download their app for free. All you need to do is head to peanut.app.link forward slash girlgang. Hey everybody, welcome to this episode of The Worst Girl Gang Ever. Today we're joined by the wonderful Eve, who is founder of the Perinatal Mental Health Partnership. So we're going to chat to Eve about her experiences of postpartum psychosis following the birth of her son Joe. And we're going to chat about her recurrent miscarriages that she had before that. So thanks for joining us, Eve. It's great to have you here today. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, thank you for letting me kind of shine another light on this subject. I really love your Insta, by the way. I think the conversations that you're having and the things that you're talking about is really helpful, you know, to mums. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much. Yeah, we uh, we aim to please. Absolutely. So anyway, on to your story. Let's start at the beginning. So you said you've had recurrent miscarriages. So Joe was my yeah, fifth pregnancy. Right. And uh, yeah, I have uterus to Delphus, so I have um, a double womb, double vagina, and so having him or getting pregnant with him and maintaining a pregnancy was so difficult for me for years. So um, what's that called? I've never heard of that. I know. So there's a thing called bicornet uterus, which yeah, is Yeah, I had that. Do you? Yeah, I used to. Really? So is that the yeah, heart like shape uterus thing? Like a septum that divided yeah. the uterus in two, yeah. Yeah, seven divided two. So I've got that. So I've got two cervix and two ribs. I always say it's like your face. I was trying to describe this, and I said it to my gynecologist. And he was laughing. So mm. I kind of see it like my wombs are kind of like my eyes, and then I have a septum <laughs> that goes down to my so vulva on the outside, which you say is here, and these are my two vaginas. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Eve, like, Eve is pointing at her nostrils, I should um, probably say now. Her <laughs> vagina, her vaginary nostrils. <laughs> yeah, I remember I said it to my mum, my mum was like, Eve, and that's a disgusting way to describe it. But actually, when I've done stuff with uh, like gynecologists and things where I've talked about, you know, what, what 
it is actually people have kind of because it, it's been a way of them trying to, to see it kind of visually so yeah, yeah I've got uh, the, you know, the two womb the septum yeah and the, the double vagina and basically I just don't have enough room as it's been told in kind of real layman's terms for mm. for a pregnancy to grow you know uh full term so Joe as was described by uh, many a doctor when I got to about 38 weeks which was like some kind of thing they'd never even seen before um you know was my miracle baby really oh. um so yeah how do you this is uh, like a, a really abrupt and open question that you don't have to answer but how do you choose which vagina to use well you don't but you can tell the difference can you <laughs> yeah. oh God. I'm so fascinated by this I know you can tell a difference. So it's my left hand womb, which is the bigger womb, and that seems to be the vagina that has uh, more access, shall we say? Um, and yes, yeah, so when I was pregnant with Joe, I wasn't allowed to have sex in case. Um, well, in I- any of your vaginas, sorry, either. In case another yeah. baby grew in the other uterus. In case another baby grew, but it gets very difficult. You know, two vaginas. You know, condoms get stuck in one, and you know, much of which one has gone in. And you know, when I was having smears before they found out that <laughs> oh I had this. I was having all kinds of inconclusive smears because they're obviously going in one way and going in another and not realising it. And you know, so. <laughs> when did you find out that you had it? When they started doing testing for the miscarriages? Yeah, when they started. When I had, when I was first pregnant and I was bleeding, and maybe two thousand and four, two thousand and five. You know, I had really heavy bleeding, and I'd um, had uh, had some surgery, uh, you know, to move the pregnancy, and. Um, they said to me when I woke up, you know, what are your period's like? And I said, oh, I've always, you know, bled really crazily. I got my period when I was eight. Wow. You know, sometimes I would bleed twice a month and sometimes I would bleed for two weeks really heavy. And no one, you know, has ever been able to work out what's wrong with me. And she said, well, actually, you know, in the scan while we were doing, you know, your, your DNC, we, we spotted these uh, two wombs. We don't know how it hasn't been picked up before. And of course, when you see the scan on the screen, it's very obvious, you know, but it, like there are these two lumps. Um, and that's when you know they, that's when they said to me actually we really think it would be worth now you know you know that we get you in contact with a gynecologist who kind of understands uterus adelphus because obviously during this she said we haven't seen this before we'd heard of the double uterus yeah. um, I think only one of the doctors had ever seen it before but she said the uterus adelphus and they were like we've just been googling it but um, they realised <laughs> oh it's reassuring yeah yeah, yeah. You know, as they were using, obviously, you know, the things to support the operation, they obviously worked out that they were going into different vaginal entrances. Um, so and, did you, uh, when you, when you started your periods, were you having like crazy regular bleeding and blah, 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 because it was coming out of different places? It was coming out of different places, which I which I didn't realise. So sometimes I bleed twice a month. And, you know, one doctor said it's because you've started so early, you know, and then I was on the pill when I was about 12 because they were so heavy. You know, my Irish Catholic mother was kind of like going on the pill so early, but I was so, I was fainting at school. You know, I was had terrible yeah. thoughts. And I was, you know, that kind of thing. And I can remember I used to have quite a lot of sick days of school and one of my year heads saying to me, why are we having so many days off, Evelyn? And I remember, I can really remember sitting in the office saying, I just bleed all the time and I've been to the doctor and she really was like, okay, Eve, you know, you only lose half an egg cup full of money. Oh, that <laughs> b- bullshit, isn't it? <laughs> like, two teaspoons? <laughs> two teaspoons of blood a month. Whatever. What, what teaspoons are you using? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Those ones shaped like a mug. Yep. Yeah. 
exactly. <laughs> no one believed me. And it's only when this happened that she said, actually, no, Eve, we can totally see why you've been struggling so much. And you know, when I was younger, I couldn't use tampons when I was going swimming with school because they just wouldn't fit. And because mm. obviously on a bit of an angle and everything, you know, nothing just kind of worked. So it explained a lot. Explained a lot. And I have to say, once I got that and they got me in contact with this wonderful gynecologist, Mr. Ricara at the Royal London Hospital, he was just phenomenal. Yeah, kind of looked after me in the year when I had my miscarriage for Joe, actually. And after that one, when I said, look, I just can't, you know, I can't enjoy this ever again. He said, you know, if, if it, this happens again, I'll manage every part of your pregnancy for you. And he did, and we have Joe. And so, when did your journey with pregnancy begin? Um, so, I think my first pregnancy was in um, yeah 2004, which kind of wasn't you know a planned pregnancy, and was with a, with a previous partner, um, which is how this when I first found out about what was you know happening to me. And then I got together with John a couple of years later and fell pregnant quite quickly, maybe in within six months of being together. And uh, we were really happy. And I experienced the loss around eight weeks. And then I fell pregnant in 2009. So that was three years after that. I was pregnant again for around, I think, probably around nine weeks. I'd been working in a pub as a second job. I had slipped on some stairs I'd really put my back out and I'd gone over to the hospital which literally was across the road from where I lived and they did kind of all their usual tests and I did a urine test and when she came in to say I think your back and everything's okay but um, I've just got some things I need to talk to you about and, and she said is there a possibility you could be pregnant and I said I don't um I don't know <laughs> I, don't, I don't know and she said well actually you are and so uh, she knew it was so a quiz yeah. it was a quiz yeah <laughs> And so I phoned my, you know, I phoned John and said, you know, I've um I've had an accident in the pub. I'm okay, but you need to come um so I can talk to you. And I told him I was pregnant, and we were really happy. And I said to her, oh, you know, there's a gynecologist here whose name I was given a couple of years ago after I was found out my disorder. Um, he always said if I ever felt pregnant, just to kind of say, could someone contact him in the early mm-hmm. pregnancy unit? And they said, oh, yeah, he's wonderful. We'll do that. But they said there was no damage from the fall or anything like that. And everything was kind of looking kind of rosy at that point. I think I must have been around 10 weeks when I woke up one morning and yeah, felt myself and knew something wasn't mm. something wasn't right. And, you know, I just I just knew at that point. I just knew. Did you have to have a DNC for that one? Yeah, I had to have a DNC okay. for that one. You know, I had to go back to the early pregnancy unit. You know, you, you probably you might have experienced or heard this before. So many women say this. Going into the early pregnancy unit and seeing other women around you who are pregnant waiting for their mm-hmm. their scans, you know, and they know they're going to leave going, oh, I'm at the safe point now. You know, I can tell people. And of course, you know, we were sitting there and you know, I knew I was, I was bleeding while sitting there waiting for my scan. And, you know, when I went in, and you know they scan you and you know they thank you you know they don't they didn't have the scan turned around to me so I couldn't see it and you know she just said I'm so sorry I'm you know I'm so so sorry and then led us us to this room at the side at the back you know so we could compose ourselves and talk to a doctor and then that walking out crying and I remember the guilt I felt crying going past these women that were obviously there to for a joyous moment um talked about that recently because I felt the same way because I I had a miss miscarriage and I remember walking out absolutely like floods and floods of tears and just thinking I've ruined all these women's like really yeah. special day because they're going to talk about that when they get home right they're going to be like oh and there's but it might poor. not be their special day 
that's yeah. the thing it, no one yeah. makes eye contact with each other in there because no one knows no. if they're there for good or bad news are they there because they've got pain and bleeding or are they there for a reassurance scan it's horrid but you know I have to say Horrible, when I was yeah. there in lockdown we did talk to each other because no did one you? had their partners there yeah yeah it, there was some sort of like camaraderie in it it was you know oh I'm feeling really nervous or oh, I'm anxious and trying to sort of g each other on what will be will be and all of these sayings that we say not to say but you're just there in the waiting room and don't know yeah. what else don't know what else to say yeah yeah and you know what? I think you're right. I think I realise now, you know, when you look on the, you know, page like the Miscarriage Association and things like that, your your point is completely right. You know, there's definitely that assumption because I'd been there before and it had been come for feelings of joy. That's all I'd known. Whereas now mm-hmm. I knew the other side of it. And I realise now, you know, maybe there were women there like me. Yeah. There's there's no no set way of it of of dealing with it, is there? Mm. Yeah, exactly, exactly that. So talk us through your pregnancy with Joe. So it was a strange one. So I'd had my loss, which I say really devastated us. It was just awful. And, um, you know, I really, I knew at that point, I I felt like I couldn't ever go through it again, but I didn't know I wanted to be a mummy. I knew I would, that's what I wanted now. And um, about a year later, I remember sitting on the bed with John and I called him in and I did that kind of very dramatic, I need, think we need to talk. He was like, what is it, Eve? And I said, like, I really, I really feel like I want to be a mum. I really feel like I want to try again and properly try this time. Mm. He said, okay, okay. And we were planning on going on holiday. And he said, okay, you know, I'm completely on board with this and agree. And I said, you know, our sad time from last year, that's what we used to call it, our sad time, you know, is weighing mm. on my mind. And he said, we'll speak to, you know, we'll speak to the consultant. Don't worry, you know, we, we, like, we know what to do. They told us you could always go back to them and get the help of the early pregnancy unit. And he said, so, you know, we'll go on a holiday and we'll unwind and, you know, for just for a week and then we'll come back and start trying. And what I didn't realise is I was actually pregnant at that point. <laughs> oh, wow. That's oh, probably wow. why you're so emotional. Yeah. yeah. Probably, you know, probably. And I was like, oh, we were trying to work out when it happened. And actually, I had been on the pill earlier that year to try and sort out some hormonal stuff. You know, we so it was the only time really that I'd be reduced contraception. And I thought, I wonder when this happened. And we kind of worked out that when you've gone away one weekend and I drank about 87 bottles of wine and vomited. <laughs> and John said, oh, I think it might have been their name. And I was like, oh, yeah, I think you might be right. Uh, so we worked out that. You know, so I was, I was pregnant at that point. You know, and I did a, I did a test and it came positive. And I went back to saying things and bought another test. <laughs> you didn't believe it. 24 tests later. Well, no, really, I bought four tests. So, and basically all came up positive. And John was playing golf with his mate. And I sent him about 8,000 messages saying, I need to talk to you, we need to talk, we need to talk. And eventually just writing ones in capital saying, I am pregnant, answer your phone. <laughs> and um, he didn't see any of them. And so I phoned him in the car and he's with his mates. And I was like, he went, oh, hi. I said, have you read your messages? And he went, no. And I was like, okay, then bye. <laughs> but I actually did tell him in the car, I said, I'm pregnant. And he went, oh, okay, well, let's talk when we get home. Because he came in with a massive smile on his face. Oh. and um, I said I'm really worried it's going to happen again he said okay let's see what we can do you know and so I emailed to the consultant and I booked an appointment with my doctor the next day um, and said I've got this uterus to Delphus I um, I want to be seen by the consultant uh, you know it's the other side of London but he's based there and I really trust him and he knows what's wrong with me and she said oh you know yeah I think it's really important you kind of get his care if he's offered yeah. it to you 
on the NHS. So she did her little letter. On the left, the doctor had put, oh, this patient, Eve, you know, has a bicornate uterus and needs to be seen, you know, by you. And when I saw him, he said, oh, I, I forgot it was you, Eve, you know, because I had put uterus to Delphus. He said, I see, you know, a fair few women with bicornate, but I hadn't realised it was you. Okay. So he said, you must come in straight away. You know, he said, oh, we're going to scan you every few weeks, you know, if you're comfortable with that. And I, I said I was. And he said, we're going to try this thing with you when you get to 12 weeks pregnant. And I was like, when I get to 12 weeks? And he said, you know, we're really going to we're really going to try you. I know. So he said, I need you to give up your second job, um, which was like a bar job. He said, you know, I don't want you walking around or doing extra work or slipping or anything, doing anything like that. And I want you to start working from home as much as you can from now. And of course, I was really I was really, really early, you know, and uh, he said, you know, when you get to 12 weeks, we're going to start you on progesterone therapy. Why wait uh, until 12 weeks? Why not before? I don't know, actually. I oh. haven't asked him that either. I don't know. Yeah, but he put me on in 12 weeks. I hadn't, um, I didn't recall at that point because I was just going, okay, okay. You know, yeah. I'd never heard of any of these things. And I said, what does that mean? And he was like, it's like, you know, putting a little candle up here, and, you know, <laughs> lying on your back every night and putting it inside you. And I was like, oh, that sounds nice. And he said, we're going to do that. I'm going to scan you each week and I'm going to deliver you. And it's going to be a cesarean section because you can't give birth jointly because of the septum. And actually, I'd read that um, online and I'd, you know, read a few women's stories online um, about it. I would found like a uterus Adelphus site from Google where a couple of women had said that. And so I felt very kind of, I felt very, very looked after by him. And I felt very much that he was saying to me what he thought, but, you know, did I agree with everything he was saying? And he was kind of, you know, explaining things to me and how he would look after me. And so my pregnancy with Joe was fraught. I had, I didn't feel him till 17 weeks. And it was lovely when I did feel him. But we had lots and lots of instances because of the size of my wombs where I didn't feel him move. So I spent quite a lot of time in triage. And I mean, I mean weekly, I was at triage getting my movements checked. You know, there was a kind of frank discussion that, that I maybe have a longer pregnancy, but that Joe might be um, a stillbirth, you know, at some at some point. I had to be prepped for that. Wow. But, um, it, you know, that might happen, that they would do what they can to for me to have him but my wounds are so small you know that it it might be the case and actually I am grateful for that because I have met a woman who has stillbirth with UD I am grateful that kind of those incidents were talked to me and in a very gentle way but in a very open way because I think mm-hmm. what I realized now which is what happened to me after I had Joe and I wish I'd learned so many things about the mental health side of things after I had Joe mm-hmm. that I wish I'd been prepped about I am really glad that I was that conversation was had it was a difficult conversation but you know that's the reason they were looking after me so well you know because if I got you know got past the point where I'd I understood what a miscarriage was and I'd had new response of them but they, they needed to consider you know if a stillbirth um so because you had that conversation you could then manage your expectations right Exactly. It was exactly that. So we, and I think it was a good way of managing expectations in the sense that I didn't tell anybody my due date because I just didn't want that pressure of, you know, baby Mm -hmm. coming soon, baby coming soon, because I didn't know if that due date would ever actually happen, um, you know, if it gets to that point. And we didn't buy anything till around two weeks before my planned cesarean date. Uh, we kind of had everything that we, you know, we, we, you know, we had the joy of looking for things. You know, I definitely had a joyful pregnancy, um, but there was the consideration that I didn't want a cot or Moses basket in the house that would never be filled, maybe, or a buggy, yeah. you know, that wouldn't be filled. Uh, I just didn't think I could cope with that. How was the birth? You had your planned cesarean. 
have our plant cesarean and the birth was beautiful you know the consultant afterwards was all teary he said no if i've seen you from start to end with this before mm. this i'll see you again if you have another pregnancy you can always count on me to look after you and my mum was lied into the postnatal wards after about half an hour and uh you know the nurse said to me would you like to try and breastfeed and i said yes you know and it worked and it was all it was all really lovely and we've got a beautiful yeah. picture of the first feed but then but then i went nuts <laughs> So how long until you started getting the symptoms? About an hour after he was born. Wow. But so my mum came in and the first thing she said, Evelyn, what's wrong with your face? You look glazed over. And uh, the midwife said, oh, you know, she's just had a cesarean. Um, uh, you know, she's on lots of medication. She still can't feel her legs properly. Um, you know, that this is not to worry about, which obviously normally it isn't. Um, but my mum always says now, if you were talking to her, she says, I knew something wasn't right. I knew something wasn't right with Evelyn at that point. Did you um, know? Were you just I like, do know. what are you talking about? Well, I can remember going, I don't know. And, you know, John kind of feeling like it was like, because like, he'd see me in the operation because they see he saw me having the, you know, the uh, epidural and stuff. And because mm. you're told, you know, you're going to be a bit woozy. She's going to feel, you know, have to help. She can't feel anything for, you know, a couple of hours after. So it kind of wasn't an anything kind of question. Um, but what I do remember is, uh, as my mum said that, I looked over at a window in the corner, and it's a really old hospital in, in East London, and there were some bars on the window um, from like Victorian times. And I remember having this real flash of a thought of, oh, well, if I want to escape the hospital, how do I climb through those bars? It was a really bizarre kind of thought that just flashed in my brain very quickly. Um, which is obviously like an intrusive thought, but I didn't have any clue at the time what it was. Eve, and, do you have uh, any history of mental health problems prior to this? But you no, know, nothing like this, you know, no, nothing like this at all. Um, and, you know, I actually, I was never asked in my pregnancy about how my mental health was, you know, so a lot of the work I do now, you know, perinatally, it's about mm. getting it getting picked up while you're pregnant. I was never asked at all, um, you know, by any midwives or anything about my mental health or, or anything like that. Um, but no, about, I think, John, they made John leave the hospital after about three hours, three hours after Joe was born. And I can remember feeling very, very, very hot, like overwhelmingly hot in the postnatal ward. And I was saying to the other women in the ward, are you really hot? Is it really hot in here? And I said, it's, it's warm, but not anything crazy. You know, John came in the next day and I said, oh, you know, I'm really, really, really hot. And um, I just, I felt like, I felt that when the curtains around me on the bed, I said to John, I feel a bit smothered by the curtains being closed. You know, can we keep them open? Because um, I feel really hot. And I remember bursting into tears a couple of times in the midwife saying, you know, this is the baby blues. They happen, you know, for the first few days after you have a baby. This is completely normal. And I heard them saying it to other women on the ward as well. And when we left the hospital on day three, the doors opened off the hospital and we walked out and we got into my sister's car. And I said to John, why are there so many people surrounding the car? Why is the car rocking? And John said, oh, there's no, there's no one surrounding the car, Eve. Um, you know, what do you mean? And the windows are blacked out. So we said, oh, you know, because it would buy a market, might have a high street. He was like, oh, maybe, is it the market? Because you're sitting in the back, maybe you think the market's around you? And I said, no, I, I really feel like the car's rocking. And John said, okay, I, you know, I don't really understand that. Um, and then I burst into tears. And um, my sister said, oh, you know, maybe your milk's coming in and that's making you emotional. But mm. just the car journey all back home, I just had this feeling of doom come over me that I can't describe. I just felt like 
I felt like I was getting tunnel vision and I can remember my vision just going down and down and down and down as if I could see out of a very white dot at the end. And when we got home, there's an awful picture of us that I really hate of me, my mum and dad and me cuddling Joe. And I'm just I just look hysterical in it, you know, crying. I think obviously it was taken, obviously, while I was trying to muster up a smile. And then when it was taken, there's me crying and we kind of never got it you know process because I never wanted to see those photos you know recently when they were like oh let's get all the baby photos and we got one's process that we'd never done before and I saw it and I went oh my god it's that photo John that awful photo Mm. at what point did John start getting concerned on about I'd say about three days after we came home from hospital you know so he'd been concerned when we got home you know he said he'm a bit worried about all this you know crying and he's so gentle and lovely so, you know what can I do to help you and of course I was going it's, no, it's probably just my milk you know because you know someone had said that to me and I looked it up and you know it's the baby blues and it's sleep deprivation so I was kind of labeling everything that I'd read. yeah and I mean this is the trouble right the symptoms are so other than the psychotic symptoms which you generally would I guess most people keep them to themselves yeah all the other symptoms it looking in it, it looks like a new mum a new mum exactly and also and sleep deprivation coming in sleep deprivation exactly when did the like would you say psychotic symptoms oh yeah 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 so I had on about day three John had had the midwife over a couple of days after we um had uh had gone home and he said you know she just I feel like I'm losing her I can't see her in any of this and the midwife said, you know, we don't diagnose uh, postnatal depression until 12 weeks. And of course, now I know, I have no idea where that figure came from, because I've never heard that in anything in the work I do now. And, you know, she'll be fine. But it was around uh, probably day five that I started experiencing what I'd say were psychotic symptoms. So I said to John, I thought the baby was in the kind of within the duvet cover. I thought I could see Joe kind of floating around like the sea in the duvet cover. And then I thought I was... I said to John, I feel like I'm floating in the corner of a room. Actually, I think I am floating in the corner of a room looking down on myself. Then I started to have these feelings of being trapped in things. So I kept saying I wanted to get out of the house because the walls were making me feel smothered. And so I'd go out onto the street and I remember saying, you know, I, I need to get an ambulance. I feel like the the air is trapping me. I need an ambulance to come and, and help me feel feel better about this feeling. And that, that I think I can only get away from this trapped feeling if perhaps I tried to float up to the sky and maybe cut through the clouds with scissors and then maybe I would be able to get some air. So um, were you, say, were you saying all this out loud to John? Or I was were saying you... it out loud, yeah. I was okay. saying all of these things out loud. You know, so he was like, shit the bed, what is... Yeah, <laughs> I imagine that would instill like the fear. The fear of God. Anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so he took me to the doctor on day five, you know, this is like a couple of days after the midwife's hit and said, you know, I can remember him saying, you know, Eve is not herself you know she's saying these really bizarre things you know and he was god bless him he was there holding me in his arms saying she's saying this she's saying that she's saying she's floating and she's trapped the doctor said to me okay Eve let me ask you a question and I said yeah okay and she said do you want to flush the baby down the toilet and I said oh no 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 I hadn't thought about flushing the baby down the toilet and she went okay okay well, I think we're probably going to be okay here. What? I know. Don't, don't. And also, I thought you were going to say like, I thought you were going to say the doctor said, um, have you been smoking any <laughs> illegal substances? Because <laughs> that would obviously be my first question, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I realise now you know, the kind of questions that should be asked to try and get you to say things. But also, I realise now, you know, I was a woman that was actually saying things. So I wasn't kind of hiding things because yeah. I didn't really know what I was saying. And of course, John was going, she said this, she said this. 
you know so when she said that john said this isn't good enough i want to see another gp who said oh Oh, god for john right i know god God." go john go john so basically this just i mean there was i can remember there was numerous rows and shouting and doctor surgeries and you know john then i think it was the, the night later he took me to casualty um so this joe's only a week old at this point and said you know she's talking really crackpot so you know we need help and I remember oh god there's this really young doctor who was very sweet but I remember him saying to me um this might be postnatal depression and I remember saying to him okay so um I've heard of that now what do we do with the baby and he was like what do you mean and I said well I'm scared of my baby and he said oh, what do you mean you're scared of your baby and I said I'm, I'm completely terrified of my baby I can't be near my baby and um and that was my massive symptom so I'd had all these weird thoughts of floating in corners of rooms and that I felt trapped by the air and houses were moving on the street but my biggest 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 symptom was that it was this trapped feeling again, but it was that I was now trapped in my role as a mother forever with this baby. And I remember saying to the doctor, it's not like a house that I've bought that I decide I don't like anymore and I can move out or sell. And it's not like a ex-boyfriend who I decided we weren't working anymore and I can say, I'm dumping you goodbye. This baby's here forever. And I remember him saying to him, do you understand that? The baby's here forever and I don't want that. And of course, he just stood there going, um, right, I didn't, I haven't, um, I haven't, I'm not quite sure how to talk. I don't know. I couldn't get over the fact that he, I was like, I felt like he'd been sent to test me and I was failing this terrible test. Um, and that nature had decided to play this terrible, terrible trick on me. But God, this went on for, this went on for like four weeks. And John was, we were in casualties so how, many times. How did it, how did it take that long? I know. So, and you know what? Now I realise I'm not alone when I talk about my story at conferences and things. You know, I hear so many stories of this now. What I realise now. Is it better now? It's better now, things? yeah. Better now. I mean, I'm better now. You know, so it took me, you know, three years to get better in Joe's 10 now. But in terms of women getting support, I think it is better now. I think we we talk far more about psychosis, you know, rather than just the words postnatal depression, which actually, you know, they're more than just those two words. It can, you know, bring up all manner of symptoms. But Joe was six weeks before I got help. And actually, in order for us to get help, John moved us to Nottingham, 200 miles away. He'd read about these special psychiatric units on Google for women who had severe perinatal mental health problems. And Bloody everybody. go, John. I know. And every doctor we've seen at that point, honestly, and I can remember it, and I can remember him, like, you know, like banging fists on tables and saying, someone has got to help her. And we went to Nottingham, basically, and just in short, we, I, I woke up in the middle of the night, the night after we got there, and I said to John, um, I feel like the worst I've ever, ever felt. I don't think I can go on. And we went to this middle of the night GP who just said to me, have you planned your own suicide? And I said, um, no. And John was like, she didn't remember how to get dressed. I had to put her leggings on this morning. She didn't know what clothes were. And she said, if you haven't planned your own suicide, I consider you low risk. Go home and get some sleep. And she just swung her chair around and started tapping. John went bananas and they got another doctor in. And he said, actually, I think you're really, really unwell. I think what you need to do tomorrow is ring the hospital and speak directly to the psychiatric mother and baby unit and see if you can get her admitted. And then the next day, yeah, we went home. I woke up about two hours later and I thought I was buried alive in a coffin. And I was like, I was like, I was like, I thought cling film was over my mouth. And I was like clawing at my mouth. I said, like, this is the day that I want to die. Um, so John just literally marched me to psychiatric outpatients and said, we're not leaving till someone sees her. And then I had this lovely perinatal psychiatrist came to me, Dr. Gandhi. He said, um, hi, Eve. And didn't, and actually spoke to me. Didn't just kind of look at the floor of the computer or John and say things like, 
how's baby how's mum mm. you know said Eve how are you you know like how are you feeling when you look in the mirror what do you see you know what is it about the baby that's scaring you you know are, are, are there any you know is anyone talking to you in your head are you hearing voices you know, how is this making you feel and um you know, after that consultation, you kind of said to John, you know, I really, I can't, I can't diagnose it at the moment, but, you know, she's definitely showing uh, elements of postpartum psychosis um, and we need to admit her. Of course, and as I walked around to the, down to the ward, I was like, I'm convinced I can smell burning. You know, I could, smell, I could smell all these weird smells that weren't really there. But no, I was admitted and of course I was admitted with Joe and the idea that he was going to be in a bedroom with me sent me into absolute hysterics because I couldn't be with him on my own. And so a nurse outside my room for a whole week um, before I could shut the door on my own with him. And then after the first week, after on a lot of medication, I did shut the door and I was on my own with him for, I always, I emphasize how it's probably about 30 seconds, but that was a massive, like, that was my biggest step for my kind of recovery. And it just went from there. We stayed in Nottingham until he was about four and a half months old. And then I came back to London. There was no mental health team who knew how to deal with someone with postpartum psychosis. So I had to go back to Nottingham each week for an outpatient appointment for a year um with with the baby strapped to me on the the train but it just went from there I mean it took me about three years to get better a lot of medication I had EMDR therapy Mm. um which I talked about my losses in it as well because I think the fear I think the fear was you know that I would never have a baby Mm. and then of course this baby arrived and no one really knows what causes postpartum psychosis either you know there's 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 still research open about it and when I don't have bipolar you know all the kind of usual indicators some of them think that you know the extra hormones that my body carries because of the Delphis maybe triggered it you know like a hormone overload so you know it's a huge distant memory and one I thought I'd never get over ever 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 Mm. until he was about three I thought about it every waking second of the day because it was the most terrifying thing ever but yeah I got better it's extremely recoverable from you know completely recoverable from um that's that's amazing and tell us a bit about how you have because I know that you've done so much to help other women going through what you've been through so tell us about that about how people can get help yeah there's there's something in me and you that for me personally I know lots of people, you know, the experience ends and they they go on with their life and, you know, that's the right thing for them. Something in me thought I've got to use my experience to help others because it was so dismal in getting help. And, and actually highlighting the help of the units, you know, that no one knew they existed, you know, these magical six-bed units of which there's only like 15 in the UK. So I kind of, in about 2013, I mean, Joe was around three, after I had my EMDR, I kind of felt like I wanted to maybe talk to some other people that had been through what I had. I went on Twitter and actually, I met kind of a group of women on Twitter who'd experienced similar. And one of us kind of went, God, wouldn't it be great if we could do like an awareness campaign, kind of like they do in America about, you know, perinatal mental health. And so in 2014, like a group of like 10 of us, 10 women decided to uh, kind of think about, could we create an awareness campaign? And so for three years, kind of, uh, we, we got like a GP on board who experienced intrusive thoughts. Um, we got... Uh, a man who'd seen family members experience it with all it's good to kind of get, you know, the viewpoint of a partner and a carer. Yeah. Um, and yeah, a selection of women of different ages and stuff from across the UK um, of who'd experienced all kind of different perinatal uh, like mood disorders. Um, and for three years, we kind of thought about what could we do with no money or anything and how on earth you run an awareness campaign. And we set up a meeting with Time to Change and said to them, you know, how do we start something off and kind of, you know, got some advice from people. And then in, in 2017, we formed we gave ourselves a name the perinatal mental health partnership and we ran the uk's first ever maternal mental health awareness week we decided on a theme 
this one would be how to get support that was our first year's theme and we had each day of the week uh had a theme to it so like one was you know how to engage with your doctor and talk to them you know another was here are all the different you know uh perinatal mental illnesses it's not just postnatal depression you know and I, also that's not just just you know postnatal depression is awful and here are some of the symptoms you might not hear about yeah. and then kind of a focus on recovery stories and you know things like uh, we what we really wanted to do was actually give practical tools to women so they could feel empowered to get help or their family members could if they couldn't you know so things like so many women are held back from getting help because they want to continue breastfeeding and they're told they have to give it up to use antidepressants and of right. course actually that's not the case in a huge amount of cases and actually you know I the one thing I did throughout all of this which is you know I don't really know how or why is that I did breastfeed Joe the whole way through and I think I realized from my personal self that was that was the one way I would connect to him John had to hold him on me physically till I feed him about 14 times a day you know so we do a session each year with a, a GP with a pharmacist Dr Wendy to talk about the safe medications you can take if you choose to breastfeed you know so we do another session with uh, our member Dr Stephanie who's a GP who suffers from intrusive thoughts and she does a Facebook live where she talks very openly um, about the thoughts that she had uh, mm -hmm. towards her daughters and then talks about how you can talk to your GP about your symptoms. Mm -hmm. We do quite a lot of work around sexual intrusive thoughts. You know, an awful lot of mums are having terrible visions of, you know, feeling like they can't change their baby's nappy and things because of the thoughts in their head and they think they're evil and monstrous. And of course, they're not at all. Mm. You know, so I guess the fear is social services, isn't it? Is that why oh a lot of people God. don't speak it's, up? It's why people don't speak up. You know, it's why people don't speak up. And of course, you know, we of course we know instances where children aren't safe in homes, social services intervene. You know, this is a it's a different you know this is a different thing. You know, that is why it was so important for us to talk about during the awareness week. This wasn't just to empower mums and families to say, actually, I think she might be suffering from this. I know perinatal psychiatrists are a real thing. I know she can try different medications. You know, all those kind of things. Yeah. Also, which what it has been now we're in our fourth year. It's, it's been a huge learning curve for healthcare professionals yeah you know right. to actually say I've never had a moment actually saying I can't change my baby's nappy because I'm having these visions rather than to just go social services actually to go actually have you been having these thoughts since birth what are the feelings have you had are there yeah. any other things that are going on you know and actually realize it's probably a symptom of maternal OCD you know yeah. so the awareness campaign is there um, to provide practical support for women um, have very open conversations we do lots of stuff now for black mums Asian mums we're doing some stuff for Jewish mums in next year's campaign but thankfully because we're you know we're, I guess we're kind of counted like experts by experience you know we contribute to lots of things that the Royal Ecology GPs do there was a toolkit created for GPs a few years ago about what to do if someone walks into you and says I don't think I like my baby I think I'm scared of my baby I'm having these thoughts and they go I've never seen anyone like you there's a toolkit now a GPs can just click on from Google brilliant That's you awesome. know so we kind of, you know, we kind of, we, we do, yeah, but the workers, we do an awful lot now to try and contribute and use our experiences. That's mm, amazing. That's fantastic. It's like it, that sort of work deserves something like an MBE, doesn't it? Really does. You should look into that. Oh, I've got, I've got a BEM. I've got one. Yeah. <laughs> we led you up to that quite nicely, didn't we? <laughs> so I got, yeah, I got, a, I got a, a British Empire medal in 2017 from Her Majesty for Services to Mental Health. Um, oh, congratulations. That's so well deserved. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh, I don't know, but yes, it's our team as well. You know, the whole, the whole partnership is what makes it the success that it is, you know. Of course. So, and yeah. how can, so if there's anyone listening that just thinks, a light bulb moment you know this is me what how what what well, this is they my, do? my partner more like this is my partner it? or this is my daughter or this is yeah. my you know anyone what can Absolutely. they do 
so especially now especially in covid times it's all a bit weird getting a doctor's appointment and things mm-hmm. so what we say and i've talked to we've talked to many gps about this to try and you know about the, the thing to do at the moment you know to ring the doctor's surgery or do that checker like my doctor's surgery has an e kind of consult you know consultant checker often they have you know i'm feeling anxious or i'm feeling you know depressed you can ring the doctor's surgery and say is there a doctor there like you would if they say is there a doctor who kind of deals with kids you know in the mm-hmm. gp surgery yeah. is there a doctor there you know who's particularly afraid of mental health or you know women after they've just given birth and their emotions and say or is there a sympathetic doctor you know who we can talk to um my wife my partner um is experiencing you know some feelings after birth that are scaring her if you speak to a gp who is then kind of very dismissive it's completely within your rights to say, I need to talk to another GP. You, you are allowed to then say, I want to speak to somebody else or as a partner or family member to say, this isn't good enough. I would like to speak to somebody else. There's also local perinatal mental health teams that you can Google them, perinatal mental health and put your area in Google and their referral details will come up with their with their phone number. Some of you, mm. some of them allow you to self-refer. So a family member can phone up and say, can you come and see my wife at home or can we come and see you? Or you can wave it in front of your health visitor and say, can you fill in this referral for me and send it off? And thankfully, there's many more perinatal mental health community teams now than there were 10 years ago. Um, but I would say if you don't get the answers that you basically not only want, but you deserve at the first shot, you are because people worry that they can't go. I want to see another doctor. You can and you deserve to. So just say thank you for that help. I don't think that's actually going to help me. Could I see somebody else? And you're allowed to do that. And I would say, yeah, keep pushing for it. Don't feel like you're pissing anyone off or anything like that. You know, this is what the most the most vulnerable time in a woman's life is in the first year after she has a baby and mm-hmm. you know there's some terrible stats around suicide being the leading cause of paternal death you know still in the UK yeah so, and if that's like if that's that's obviously such a real and frightening thing but suicide is the end of everything there is no exactly. chance of getting help after suicide so if it's just a case of being worried that you're going to offend someone by asking to see another doctor the obviously the, the flip side of that is not getting the help and then moving yeah. on to more serious things like suicide and that's just I mean people please get help it's really real it does happen doesn't it it does oh, happen right. because that help helps not ex- as as accessible as it should be and that's why mm-hmm. that, that it happens and people don't realize the psychiatric emergency isn't it yeah it's of course it's a psychiatric emergency. It's, you know, ble- um, it's like you're bleeding out, right? But you, you're just not doing it physically. Do you know what? That's one of the best descriptors I've ever heard of it, actually, um, because it is. It's as if a wound has happened that does not scab over and just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And it seems to be when it only gets to this massive puddle on the floor, someone goes, oh, what's happened to you? You know, we could have fixed that ages ago. Mm. You know, so it's like that. It's like, you know, it's a psychiatric emergency and actually Action and Postpartum Psychosis, who are the charity who kind of, you know, provide lots of wonderful information and support, they have a very simple poster actually saying, is your partner acting strange? You know, is your friend acting, you know, mm. saying odd things? Is it almost like a mania? Are they kind of reciting lists and things? Kind of things that, you know, I've, I've never seen kind of, you know, very kind of simple kind of things and instructions like that written down, you know, because obviously John would have gone, oh, yes, 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 yeah. yes, all of them. No one said to him, is she writing lots of lists? Is she kind of saying things over and over? You know, they were just saying things like, does she want to flush the baby down the toilet? Yeah. You know, and got, you know, so you're completely right. It's that thing of, and of course, you know, that, that was my contemplation, you know, that on that day that I was admitted was was suicide. And um, 
you know, I'm so thankful that you know, that didn't happen to me. But I'm also very aware that it you know, very much could have unless I'd got admitted at that point, because it would have felt that we'd kind of gone every avenue of help and I was just being turned away yet again. Yeah. But you're right, that women need help and they deserve help. And I think so often women are kind of hushed and, you know, told that, you know, to, you know, it's like they think of why are you making so much noise in labour? It can't be that bad. You know, the women are kind of told to be quiet and just get on with it. And it's our nature's role. You know, we have boobs mm. to feed our babies. We have mm. hips so babies can grow. You know, people would say to me, you've had a baby. What do you expect? Well, no, I didn't expect this. And also I didn't deserve this. You know, as I deserved help to not feel like this. Mm. Absolutely. It's so important. And thank you so much for for addressing it, you know, for speaking out and stuff. And that's absolutely what we what we our intention is, is to educate people, not just educate people into the subjects as a whole but educate people in how to deal with the subjects if you're not experiencing themselves you know how to talk about it how to how to not avoid it exactly exactly we need to talk we need to talk about these things because the more knowledge we have the quicker we can get help or the quicker we can say oh I think I I've, I've heard of that before you know yeah. it's as simple sometimes as googling a perinatal team but if you don't know that exists then you don't know how to do that you know yeah. I feel like everybody who is um, who knows someone who is pregnant or or recently had a baby should educate themselves just yeah. the, the simple like you say that simple list of signs and symptoms because um, it could save someone's life absolutely yeah. could absolutely could yeah amazing well thank you so so much for coming it was so lovely thank you so much for sparing us the time though Eve and um, yeah we, we absolutely love what you're doing and you have our support through and through yes thank you so I you. really love coming on and keep doing what you're doing it's so important yeah we right will back at you yeah thank you absolutely well take care and um thanks everyone for tuning in again and until next week no it won't be next week will it until tomorrow <laughs> will it be tomorrow probably until next time next time that's see you next one. time <laughs> cheerio Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And please, please, when you have a second, rate us, review us and share us. And let's get this taboo smashed. See you next week. Hi, my name is Kay Adams. And to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process. So I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.